Today on Ag News Daily. I mean, most of the producers that we talk to and uh, most of them, uh, even, you know, with, with my own personal information, uh, uh, what I've found out is most of the processing facilities are booked out until next year. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined by Delaney Hell. Delaney, how you doing? I'm good. I felt like that was a moment, you know, in class where a teacher would be like, who do I want to call on first? That's exactly what that was. I was debating, do we let Ashton go or Delaney go? And I thought, hey, you know, uh, age before beauty. So Delaney, you're up. Oh, man. What's new in your world? Not a lot. I got to tell you. All right. Well, that can be okay. Ashton Carr, what's new with you? I actually just got the news this morning that I got into the mass communications grad school program here at Texas Tech. So I'm having a great day. Well, congratulations, Ashton. So what what does that mean? (laughs) So I'll graduate in December with my undergrad in agricultural communications. And then in the spring, if, if things go right, I'm not exactly sure if I'll stay at Tech or if I'll get a job or go to grad school somewhere else. But it is exciting to kind of be taking those first steps into figuring my life out. <laughs> gotcha. So you're saying you got into the grad program at Texas Tech, should you want it? Yes. Well, very cool. That is worthy of a congratulations. A couple years of hard work paying off for you. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate those kind words. Well, Delaney, we've got news there from Ashton. You've got nothing. Mm-hmm. I've got nothing. We're just old and tired and Boring. just life beats us relentlessly yeah. against the rocky shoals. <laughs> but we do have things happening in agriculture. Oh, man. And there's, yeah. So we got two things that I want to talk about. They are connected. Mm-hmm. And this was reported earlier today. We got to take, uh, we got to look rather at U.S. gasoline demand. And of course, we follow gasoline demand on this program. That gasoline demand increases naturally, so does ethanol demand. So it should be beneficial for the corn market. Well, bad news: gasoline demand has plateaued. As we've talked about for the past few weeks on this podcast, a lot of states are starting to see increases in coronavirus. Those very same states are seeing people, even though they're not under any sort of a state-mandated lockdown anymore in a lot of these places, just people are starting to stay at home again. They're not willing to go back out. They're not driving. Gasoline demand has plateaued for the second week in a row, and that has the markets a little bit concerned. So that's issue one we're going to want to keep an eye on. Can we get people out driving, and can we keep them out and driving? Issue two, coming from the EPA, and I say these issues are connected because ethanol is the tie that binds in these two stories. The second issue is that EPA has received 52 positions for biofuels waivers. So we have been talking about these small refinery exemptions since President Trump came into power and you know changed up the base of the EPA. They have granted more of these waivers to uh, gasoline uh, blending facilities than any other president in history by about four times, quadrupled the amount of these waivers that have been issued by other presidencies. And um, it looks like that is set to continue. So we had a win for ethanol earlier this year when the Tenth Circuit in Denver said that all of these previous exemptions 
now have to be treated as extensions, as in refinery is still obligated to blend that uh, renewable fuel and or to buy the RINs. They just don't have to do it in that year. The exception, exemption was granted. Well, that was a new way of understanding this whole issue. So now all of these refineries that have been granted exemptions from 2010 have now filed new waivers because, of course, they don't want to get caught holding the bag on, you know, potentially 10 years worth of backdated uh, biofuels requirements. So this is now before the EPA. EPA has not made any movement on these as of yet. We do know, however, that uh, this administration has been blatantly pro-oil since its foundation, and that's the way the EPA has made these decisions in the past. I would say if you are a corn grower and you market to an ethanol plant, now's the time to kind of get active. Uh, Check out, oh gosh, I'm drawing a blank, Emily Score. Bioenergy? Yes, and Renewable Fuel Association, RFA, all those websites, check them out, find a way how you can potentially help influence the EPA to uh, stop letting the oil industry get away with violating the renewable fuel standard. I mean, that's the issue we're we're dealing with here. They continue to flaunt all of the rules and regulations, and now it looks like a record number of them might be trying to do it in 2020. So some headwinds ahead of us in the corn market, Delaney. Yeah, I think actually the group Emily Score works for is Growth Energy. It just came to me. Yes, thank you. You're exactly correct. Well, the other big headwind we are starting to face, believe it if you want to, don't believe it if you don't want to, but we saw Bloomberg report, uh, yes, two days ago now, that China is apparently warming up to the idea of having President Trump in office for another four years. It's been largely speculated up until this point that China's preferred choice was uh, the candidate of Joe Biden for president because he would likely, you know, try and make amends with China, fix this trade situation, etc. Well, We saw an interview of nine current and former Chinese officials were interviewed and pointed to a shift in sentiment in China right now in favor of President Trump. They said the chief reason for that is, or a belief of the chief reason of that is that the benefit of the erosion of America's post-war alliance network would outweigh any damage to China from continued trade disputes and geopolitical instability. The other piece of this story that I find very interesting and somewhat timely is that a former U.S., let's see, what was his title? Former U.S., he was an advisor to President Trump. I'm drawing a blank on his title right now. Michael Bolton. John Bolton. John Bolton. John, Thank John you. Bolton. Michael, yes. Michael Bolton, the singer. I know. I got that mixed up for a second. So a former national security advisor, John Bolton, is apparently releasing a book. Kind of it goes along with this Bloomberg story about Chinese sentiment towards President Trump. Essentially, Bolton is accusing President Trump of making an under-the-table deal with President Xi to buy Chinese purchases of soybeans and wheat to essentially get him reelected here in 2020 and keep rural America and people that are concerned about trade issues on his side. Again, these are allegations. I really don't know if they are true or if this Bolton fellow is just trying to sell a book 
but uh, that's been making some headwaves today in the news wires. It has been. And so this is an issue I've been following, you know, fairly closely because, of course, it touches agriculture, touches national security. It's, I just think, interesting all the way around. Mm -hmm. And the the Trump administration is making interesting claims. So as of right now, we don't know if this book is going to be published. Uh, The Trump administration is claiming that John Bolton reveals national security secrets in the book. And so they're claiming it should be classified, or or it is classified. He's revealing classified information, I should say. They're also coming out and saying the book is chock full of lies. But here's the rub that the administration is going to have to deal with. Anything that's not true cannot be classified. So either John Bolton's book is true and therefore should be classified, or it's BS and can't be classified, but it's BS. So I don't know where the administration is going to come down on this. I just thought that was interesting. And I wanted to circle back one more time to the allegations there. It's worse in my mind. And I'm trying to make an under-the-table deal. I think a lot of us listening, you know, get that President Trump fancies himself a deal maker. He, you know, he makes deals. That's what he does. It, the way John Bolton presents this issue, and granted, I think only one copy has been leaked and it's gone to the Washington Post. So, you know, that's where we're getting all this information from. In the Washington Post's retelling of John Bolton's remembering of this story, basically, President Trump was begging President yes. Xi of China to yes. come back and buy beans and wheat because, yeah, sales have suffered. The Trump administration has been catastrophic for agricultural export markets. We need to be selling stuff to China. And, um, yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. It's a fascinating story. I think, Delaney, the, the story you mentioned before, China getting on President Trump's team is telling. And, you know, a lot of folks that I have spoken with really like President Trump for the actions he's taken with China. You know, they've been willing to kind of stomach the trade war and the loss mm-hmm. of market share and the rise of Brazil and the ag market because of this trade war, because they think that, you know, we're taking a stand. I wonder if that's going to change if a vote for Trump now is a vote for Chinese superiority going forward, because that's what's happening. We're, we're weakening global alliances that have kept America, you know, at the top of the global food chain. And the country that's most poised to capitalize on that, no, not to mention they're buying beans a dollar fifty even a bushel less than they were a year ago, is China. They gotta love Trump. Yeah, I know. I agree. There's a lot of things going on, and I think it's gonna be fascinating to watch how all these play out through the years, Link. I do too. It's just uh, changing geopolitical behind the scenes that we can't even tell is going on. Yeah. But I gotta ask, Ashton, you've been awfully quiet. Do you have any headlines you're keeping an eye on today? I do have one piece of news, and it's concerning the USDA's food box program. And I've talked about the food box program before, and it just got started up in mid-May. But the end of June marks where their contracts are ending. And so the USDA is offering contracts and contract extensions now that the program is up and running. And so they're offering contracts to massive food box program companies that were passed over in the first round of contracts due to technical errors, I'm guessing, just in the application process. So they give an example of those who missed signatures or unchecked boxes. So they're re-offering contracts to those 
companies that didn't get a chance to participate in the first round. And they're also extending contracts from July 1st through August 30th for a second round. And this second round of food boxes is going to be up to $1.16 billion in fresh produce, dairy, and uncooked, excuse me, not uncooked, cooked meat products, um, according to the USDA's news release. And as of June 17th, more than 17 million boxes have been delivered to about 3,200 food banks across the United States and in Guam and Puerto Rico. So I didn't, I didn't even realize that they were going to U.S. territories like Guam and Puerto Rico. And so that's just a little bit of an update to that program. That's cool. Great way to get some uh, some products moving there uh, across the country. Yeah, absolutely it is. Well, I tell you what, I think I am out of news for today, Mike. What about you? Well, I just have one quick story before we head into the market, and this is exports were reported today. Taking a look at the corn market, corn exports for the week were fine. Nothing terribly exciting, but in line with analyst expectations, net sales came in at 357 and eight, excuse me, 357,800 metric tons for old crop. And uh, you know, it's down a little bit from last year, but it's still pretty solid. Looking out at soybeans, the soybean exports were phenomenal. Of course, we did have pretty much a solid week last week of flash announcements of China making purchases. Uh, for old crop, soybean sales were 538,100 tons. For new crop, let me pull this up. Uh, exports were 387,500 tons. So big sales vary in soybeans. And then the other market we've been watching closely on the export side of things was pork. And pork exports also were up this last week, uh, up fairly substantially. Total pork exports were 30,000, excuse me, 38,600 tons, pretty well split between Mexico and China. So we are seeing some buying happening. We're getting American farm products moved off our shores, which is good news. It certainly is. Was it enough to move the markets today, though? Well, I tell you what, on the market side of things, we have been watching weather lately. The heat dome that has been expanding across the Easter Corn Belt, it's been hot, it's been windy, it's been dry. All of those things were leading to the creation of a weather market. After the close of markets today, however, we started to see this long line of storms developing across eastern South Dakota, Iowa. Eventually, it's going to move into Illinois with fairly substantial rain totals. We might see some weakness tomorrow. But today, it was that dryness that was lending some support to corn and soybeans. In July corn, it was up three quarters of a cent at 331 even. New crop December corn unchanged on the day, closed at 342 and three quarters. Looking at soybeans, July contract up one and three quarters, finished the day at 873 even. November down half a cent at 876 even. Looking over at wheat, the weakness in wheat has continued just like yesterday. We saw another rise in the strength of the dollar today. July wheat down five and a quarter cents at 483 and a half. December down five cents, closed the day at four, excuse me, 498 even. Down below, that's psychological. $5 barrier. 
Weakness also persisted in the cattle complex today. August lot of cattle down 75 cents, closed at 96.10. The October contract down 42 and a half at 99.40. Feeders followed right along. The August contract down 60 cents at 132.97.50. The September down 70 cents to close at 134.25. Did find a little bit of strength in lean hogs. The July contract up 25 cents at 49.90. August up 30 cents. Close the day at 53.47 and a half. Looking over at the dairy market, that class three milk rally continues onward. June up 17 cents at 20.92. Definitely looks like it's going to break $21. It did earlier, couldn't make it stick. However, the July contract up 71 cents at 20.50. We're talking always a lot about getting meat and good food into the hands of consumers. And our interview today has a way for folks in Oklahoma to connect with ranchers to secure some beef. Let's tune in. Well, today on the podcast, we have Mark Tag, VP of Sales and Marketing for AgBoost. He's here to talk to us about AgBoost teaming up with the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association. But before we get to that, Mark, why don't you tell our listeners a little bit more about your background and what you do at AgBoost? Certainly. Uh, absolutely, Ashton. Thanks for having me on. Uh, I am a fourth-generation cattle producer. Uh, I am uh, in Oklahoma. My family's been in the the cattle business since before Oklahoma was a state. Uh, And then I spent a little time in the financial services industry where I developed some different pieces of technology and ended up uh, selling those to a a Fortune 300. And uh, then I uh, met with a a friend of mine and and we have uh, we started AgBoost. So uh, as VP of sales for AgBoost, it's my responsibility to market and sell our uh, herd management app, which is free to use for our users, uh, as well as we have a genetic testing component in there where we can uh, correlate data for for our users to either genetic testing or or data points that they enter into the herd management app. So, Mark, you touched on it right there. AgBoost, working with cattlemen, helping with with management of herds. Are you primarily concerned with the cow-calf sector? Do you do much in the the feedlot space as well? We we are primarily in the cow calf sector, and but we are working to move into the feedlot sector. Um, we kind of started with the the cow calf sector because those are what would be the the biggest or bigger audience for the genetic testing component that we offer for for live cattle. Interesting. Okay, so how did you guys come up with this idea? It's pretty brand new. It sounds like here to connect consumers and beef producers. Well, sure. Uh, we we, uh, uh, we we've been an associate member of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association, and I've been a, my family and I've been a member of the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association for quite a while. And you know, one of the things uh, during the the, the recent pandemic, I, as most people have noticed, there was quite quite a shortage of beef uh, on the shelves, and the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association um, started a list of cattle producers, cattle, member of cattle producers that sold beef directly to the public. Uh, and then as I looked at that, I came up with the idea of letting us take over that list and making making it a, a searchable database. Uh, we can search to the zip code level. Um, so each ranch can go on to our platform, uh, create an account, and then put up a marketplace for their beef uh, to, that goes direct to the consumers. They can have their contact info, their websites, uh, social media, et cetera, as well as pricing and, and what they're selling and, and uh, what they have available to sell to the public. 
So this has been Unrolled, the Oklahoma Cattlemen have had the list growing. You've now made it into a, a searchable database. What sort of numbers are you seeing as far as ranchers or, or, or cattle producers, period, who have signed up for the program? So we currently have well over 100 participants, and uh, we're adding three more today. Uh, so the, the, the program has gotten widespread attention. Uh, specifically from consumers calling the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association and asking for that that data. Uh, so more and more and more ranches continue to sign up. And obviously, as as uh, the the uh, supply chain tries to catch up, it's still a very popular option. And I and I really believe that from a consumer perspective, that I believe uh, there's going to be a lot of people change their buying habits. So I see this list uh, growing and expanding, as well as allowing producers to expand what they offer direct to the public also. So with this recent update to the application, the herd management feature is now free to all users from what I understand. So what does the herd management feature um, in, in, include? Sure. So the herd management, uh, our, our application allows users to enter data uh, on their cow herd. Uh, they can enter individual animals with, uh, for example, visual tag IDs, or if they're using uh, EIDs, we can we can also accommodate that. Uh, they can enter specific data points on that on uh, those cattle. If it's a cow, for example, they can enter a birthing event. Uh, they can enter uh, an embryo flush event or a pregnancy check event, et cetera, a vaccination event, uh, as well as you can enter data on their calves uh, as, and uh, as well as the sires also. So, what our system will do is it will allow producers to collect that data, keep it in a format online, uh, and then go back and be able to have reports at their fingertips based upon dates or cow families or sires, et cetera. So it really allows producers the ability to enter data, but then also step back and take a look at what does that data mean in the aggregate. I want to take it back here, Mark, to the agboost.com slash marketplace, because this is really where consumers, but also people who have beef herds can go to find out essentially, you know, a partner or somebody that they want to purchase this product from. Um, it, it seems like a pretty handy system where you can just toggle the switch on and off dependent upon what you want to order. But for the consumer side of things, if I'm going to the website to find a ranch that has beef that I can buy as a consumer, do I have to go through the platform to buy beef or do I reach out directly to that ranch? So currently uh, you reach out directly to the ranch. Uh, each ranch uh, is allowed to put their contact information on their uh, phone number, email address, uh, social media contact, etc. So from that point, the consumer can search either the ranch by name uh, they can search or all the way down to the zip code level if they'd like to search by zip code to find out the producer that's closest to them. Um, and, and then they can initiate contact from there. Um, as we continue to improve the marketplace, uh, we are planning on adding a chat feature and or a feature where you can email directly from the platform straight to the producer. Mark, I think this is fantastic stuff. And I, I think you, you mentioned it earlier and you really hit the nail on the head. This is going to change some consumers purchasing choices for the for the long term. We're going to see folks make these connections, build these relationships with ranches they trust, beef they love to taste, and they're going to continue to, to make that purchase. I, I think this is a great space to be in. But I got to ask you a question. Being a man connected with the cattle industry in a lot of different ways, one of the uh, choke points 
in this new model of uh, marketing beef has been processing capacity. In your time, in your conversations with ranchers and with buyers, are you finding folks are able to get animals purchased and processed this year? So uh, a lot of the, the member ranches that are on there have uh, already took their processing slots this year. So they do have inventories to sell, but you're right. I mean, most of the producers that we talk to and uh, most of them, uh, even, you know, with, with my own personal inform, uh, uh, what I've found out is most of the processing facilities are booked out until next year. Uh, so absolutely processing uh, capacity is the choke point for certain. Um, but again, I do believe that because of the pandemic and because of the shortage and, you know, nobody likes to see shortages on the grocery store shelf, but I do believe that this would encourage either more processors to come to the marketplace potentially. Uh, I know it's very expensive and there's a lot of liability, but I do think that because the consumer's choices look like they're going to be changing, uh, I think it's going to attract some more uh, capacity to that market. Absolutely. I, I agree. When you look at the long-term model or your long-term vision, I think consumer tastes and preferences are changing. So I think it lends itself to do this not only in Oklahoma, but in other states. Do you have plans to expand outside of just Oklahoma? Absolutely. Uh, as a platform, uh, we have customers uh, all over the world, actually. We, wow. we have customers in uh, Bulgaria, Canada, Mexico, the United States. Uh, we're looking to expand into uh, some other countries. Uh, our, our, our website and our IP, we've, we've had trademarks issued in seven different countries. Uh, so we are actually looking to expand the marketplace idea uh, around the world. Uh, so we, this is something that it's just released and, and obviously great timing with the Oklahoma Cattlemen's Association list. What a great way for us to be able to launch the marketplace into the public. But uh, yeah, we absolutely are looking to expand it. Well, Mark, that's really exciting. And I'm ready to see this expansion come come forward in the next couple of years or so. But why don't you give our listeners the web address one more time and maybe how they can reach you or Ag Boost through social media? Certainly, absolutely. Um, so the, our, our website, which is uh, where anyone can go to sign up for, uh, again, we have a free account, so you can sign up for your free account. It's www.ag-boost.com. Again, that's www.ag-boost.com. you got to remember to put the dash in the middle. Um, on Facebook, we are, it's at agboostok. That's uh, all one word. Uh, and then we're also on Instagram at, at AgBoost as well as Twitter at, at AgBoost. And then if you'd like to reach out directly to me, uh, my email address is mark, M-A-R-K, at ag-boost.com. Welcome to the Hot Rod Farmer Minute. I am Ray Bohax from the Idle Chatter podcast heard on the Global Ag Network. When was the last time you gave any thought to the fluid in your hydraulic braking system? If you are honest, most likely never. Brake fluid over time will wicken moisture. Then two detrimental things will occur. Internal corrosion of the hydraulic parts of the system and the lowering of the fluid's boiling point. When the friction surface of the brakes get hot, the heat is transferred to the fluid via the caliper or brake shoes. 
If the fluid is moisture-laden, then it will boil, changing from a liquid to a vapor. The result will be a brake pedal that goes to the floor and a vehicle that will not stop. Once the fluid recondenses, the system will perform fine. But by then it's too late. You may have crashed. Agriculture runs on machinery, profits on reliability. Please visit farmmachinerydigest.com for more helpful hints and technical articles. Again, folks, that was Mark Tague, VP of Sales and Marketing for AgBoost. Now, I'm really excited since I'm so close to Oklahoma to see AgBoost and OCA really team up and see what that does for the beef industry. Getting product to the consumer. But we're also getting things to the consumer, the consumer of the Ag News Daily podcast. You can check out all our past episodes at agnewsdaily.com. Or interact with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to consume all the great content we're always sharing on the podcast. Ashton, with that, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.